Welcome back to NL News Day. Of course, it is the first day of the week. It's a Monday, so as always, pleased to welcome to the program Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you here today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thanks, as always, for the time. Now, I wanted to start here with an issue that kind of resurfaced earlier this month around access to Crown Land, and especially uh, a pair of lakes a little bit south of Kamloops, those being Stony Lake and Mini Lake. So, just for some background here, the Douglas Lake Cattle Company, one of BC Court of Appeals Cates, which overturns a ruling that forced it to allow public access to two lakes in the Nicola Valley. In the decision, it says that the trail leading to Mini Lake and Stony Lake is not public land and overturns that earlier decision that the cattle company had to allow access to those two lakes. So access had long been blocked off by the Douglas Lake Cattle Company before they were challenged in court by the Nicola Valley Fish and Game Club and forced to keep a gate that blocked access to the two lakes open at all times. But in the Court of Appeal ruling, the Trust Act says it allows the cattle company to ban the public from crossing its private property to access those lakes and noted it was a mistake that had been made in the earlier ruling that the road to those lakes was exempt from a Crown Land decision made in 1895, which granted the land to the cattle company. I think there are a number of concerns here, Kala, that stem from this. And one for me, I guess, is should a company or an individual be able to block access to their private land if it is the only access point to crown land? And how does that impact decisions, of course, moving forward? How, how does this precedent um, develop as a result of this decision? But I guess, in your opinion of the law, should a company be allowed to you know, use its own private access point and block that, even though it is the only access point to a public place? No. I mean, the reason that we have um, these rules surrounding Crown land and the ability of the members of the public to access Crown land is because that not all of the land in British Columbia is is privately owned and, and you know, up for sale. People have the right to use Crown land for recreation and enjoyment within certain limits. Um, and if you buy all of the privately owned land surrounding a parcel of Crown land, you effectively become an owner of that land by having the ability to exclude access to anybody else. And that essentially creates ownership rights that don't exist uh, for people who are rich enough to buy a large amount of land um, that, that diminishes access for people who can't afford to be doing the same thing. It's unfair and unjust. So I guess the argument would be, right from the cattle company's perspective in this one, is this is our road, We this is our private road, um, we have to maintain it, upkeep it, and the more cars that come on it, the more vehicles that uh, you know are driving their, their boats to the boat launch or whatever the case may be, it's deteriorating the conditions of the road, which they're then going to have to maintain. And also they have members who use that access point to reach the lake and, and reach their facilities. So why should they be allowed or why should they be forced, I guess, to have the public use that property? Is there any case that makes sense in, in within that argument? Well, I, I appreciate the position that they're coming from, that, you know, having to maintain the road and deteriorating the quality of the road that they're using for purposes related directly to their land ownership is unfair to them. But at the same time, there are reasonable ways to compromise on this. Why could the Crown not offer to pay for maintenance of the road on behalf of the cattle company so that people could have access to the land? There is a middle ground here. Um, and it's unfortunate that, the you know, between the Crown and, and the, the cattle company, there couldn't be some type of an agreement for this. Because it seems to me that the next step, potentially, if, if the Crown wants to assert the ability of people to access this land, is for them to expropriate the land that the road is on for the purposes of allowing access to the public. 
Now, the uh, Fish and Game Club, as mentioned, is the one that's kind of been fighting this in court to this point. And now that it's gone through the B.C. Court of Appeal, uh, they don't really have, you know, the funds to continue fighting this. So it really does come down to the government, to the Crown, to see this case pursued any further. I don't know if that is going to happen, but I do worry if it's not pursued further, what the precedent will be, not only for Crown land in BC, but really across the uh, country, right? This could have a, a wide sweeping impact uh, for, for access to, to public property uh, right across Canada. This certainly could have a wide sweeping impact on any provinces that don't have specific provisions in legislation, and, and the Court of Appeal did mention that there are other provinces that have rules that say that you do have to provide access to the public and a means of public access if you own land that surrounds a parcel of crown land or surrounds a, a body of water or things like that. We don't have that in BC. And so it does set a disturbing precedent for any province that hasn't enacted legislation like that. One thing that the government could do without having to, you know, take up the cause in court is just to draft legislation that addresses this gap and that requires people who own land uh, to provide some access to members of the public if their land is the impediment to access to Crown land. The question will be whether that legislation can apply retroactively to affect the rights of property owners like the cattle company in this case. Yeah, that's what was going to be my follow-up there was could there potentially be some sort of grandfathering process as a result of of change legislation like that? But uh, nonetheless, I think it would be a good step for the province to take, even if it wouldn't apply retroactively at least least, you know, you don't see similar cases like this into the future, because this is a real concern, I think, uh, when we're talking about access to public land and and private companies being able to block that. Uh, I have a a lot of issues that come with that for sure. I think that's about all on that one for now. It will be interesting to see what the next steps are in court, and one I know we will be following within our newsroom quite closely uh, as steps progress, but that might be a a ways off into the future. Uh, I wanted to switch gears here, go back to uh, talk a little bit about driving. I know uh, you were on uh, Global BC on the weekend talking about the issue of people with learner's licenses when they are found to have committed uh, an offense on the road, sometimes maybe more uh, penalties should be going to the supervisor in question. And I guess the the story that was done on the weekend came in relation to an incident in Vancouver where uh, a learner's license holder and supervisor were allegedly stopped for going 63 kilometers per hour over the speed limit on Granville, a 50 kilometer per hour zone. The learner issued an excessive speeding ticket and the vehicle impounded, but nothing happens to the supervisor. No blame is really placed at their feet. How concerning is it that, you know, a supervisor, it seems like in this case, was just not paying attention and doesn't have to face any consequences? It's incredibly concerning. And it's also concerning because it's not the first time I've seen this in the course of my career. There are numerous cases that I've had where people who have their L licenses and who are required to have supervisors and who do have supervisors in the car are engaged in driving behavior that would that would shock uh, the public. And the fact that supervisors don't have any obligations whatsoever other than to sit in the passenger seat of the vehicle really points to a massive gap that we have in legislating the responsibilities both of of learner drivers and the people who supervise them. It's a public safety issue and it needs to be corrected. 
Would there ever be a concern, though, if if we did see, you know, more supervisors being held to account in some way, uh, especially in a case like this? I don't think there's any excuse for someone going 63K over the speed limit. But, you know, in cases where maybe it's not quite as severe and you, you know, you as a supervisor are doing what you can to try to, you know, deliver the message, hey, you can't be going that fast or, you know, you got to stop for that stop sign or whatever, you know, infraction might be at play. Is it would it be difficult to approve? Hey, the supervisor did all they could to try to correct the behaviors of the learner's driver, but the, they were unable to seemingly get that message across. I mean, I would I would worry that maybe there would be times where supervisors are being held to account when maybe they really aren't at fault at all. There would be times um, where supervisors were doing the best that they could to try and get the driver to comply with the law and the driver was openly defying them. And in those circumstances, I think a defense could be raised. It could be an affirmative defense that the supervisor exercised reasonable care and judgment in attempting to supervise the individual, but you know, you can't control the behavior of another person. And I think if you created an exception where people could raise that in court and say, look, I didn't do anything wrong here. I told him to slow down. And he didn't listen to me. Um, you know, I was powerless to stop him. That's that's something that would protect against people being wrongfully convicted of these offenses, but still emphasize the importance of putting a positive duty on the supervisor to do something. Because yeah. right now the law doesn't put any positive duty on the supervisor to do anything. Right. So in theory. Uh, why should they even care if someone is doing something illegal, right? Because it's not going to hurt them at all. It's just uh, they just have to be in the front seat. That's the only legal requirement that they have. So there's really no onus at all at this point. And they don't even have to be sober. I mean, how much of a supervisor can you be if you can essentially be using your, you know, child that's a learner driver as your designated driver for, uh, for you know, the entire time that they have their L license? Mm-hmm. And that would technically not violate the law. I think a requirement just of sobriety, just putting some burden on the people would be enough to just say, hey, you've got an obligation here to actually supervise. So uh, just to clarify, I guess, what types of uh, changes would you like to see to the legislation here? I'm sure you touched on it off the top there, but just to kind of clarify, what, what do you think would be an acceptable step? I think that the legislation should set out a specific offense. Uh, committed by supervisors sitting in the passenger seat who do not exercise reasonable care and judgment in supervising the um, uh, the driver uh, or who occupy that seat uh, well under the influence of alcohol or drug. Makes sense to me. Kyla, thanks as always for the time. Appreciate this. Will we see any changes? I'm reluctant to say yes, but uh, <laughs> at least the issue is being talked about, which is a, a first step anyways. Thanks as always for the time, though. Thank you for having me. Acumen Laws. Kyla Lee. I still can't believe that, eh? Like, uh, 63 kilometers per hour over the speed limit. Yes, the driver has to be held to account in that type of situation, whether you're a learner or not. You shouldn't be going that fast, right? Especially in a 50K zone. If you're clocked at 113, yeah, I think there's a, a need for a ticket to be handed out in that particular type of a situation. But excessive speeding ticket, vehicle impoundment for the person with the L license, but nothing for the supervisor. You know, I get that if it's 15 over, right? They're driving 65 in a 50. Why should the supervisor face any consequences for that? Probably not. But hey, if someone's doing 63 kilometers per hour over the limit, I think the supervisor has a bit of an obligation to say, hey, I think you should be slowing down a little bit. And if you're not, you know, making that vocally obvious, then uh, you know, maybe some of that responsibility should fall to you as the supervisor. So 
I do have a little bit of concern, right? You can't just have it as a blanket statement when in every single case, the supervisor should be held at fault, especially if you're just out of the goodwill of your heart trying to teach someone how to drive, especially if you're an, a learner, right? You're going to probably have a few uh, infractions on the roadway that you maybe didn't mean to do, and the supervisor is doing their best to help correct those mistakes. That's a natural part of the learning process, but there has to be also a limit to that as well. So interesting conversation in regards to that. And I also really appreciated everything she had to say in regards to the access to crown land. I have a lot of concern about that situation that we talked about earlier this month with the Douglas Lake cattle company, being able to block the public from accessing its private road, which fair enough, it's their road to maintain. And they bought that land between the roadway and the lake itself. I get that, but Man, being able to block off people from the access to Crown Lakes, that uh, doesn't sit well with me. I think there has to be some sort of at least middle ground that become can be uh, attained in that type of situation. And like I mentioned to Kyla, the BC Court of Appeal has already made that ruling. The Nicola Game Fishing Game Club, it doesn't have the resources to continue to fight that battle. So we'll see what happens next. I hope it's not a, a dead fight there. I hope it's not done. But at the same point in time, I don't know who's going to be taking up that fight.